So we have been making our way through a series called Chasing Happy. In our experience, the two things that humans most want are to find happiness and to find meaning. As Christians, we are uniquely positioned to discover a deep level of joy, perhaps some sort of divine mixture of happiness and meaning. Pastor Steve began this series with the hopeless li- hope, <laughs> hopeful life, where he reminded us that in this world we will have trouble, but to be of good cheer because we know the one who has overcome the world. Next, he talked about the blessed life, perhaps turning our ideas upside down about what a blessed life really looks like. Blessed are those who feel, for they shall know that they are alive. And then last week, we heard how McConnell has never met an unhappy, thankful person. A life of gratitude comes from getting our heads and hearts around all those things that we have been graced with. Things that came to us without any involvement at all on our part. Today, in our Chasing Happy series, we get to explore and reclaim that crazy little word called love. The scripture passage today comes from 1 John 4, verses 13 through 21. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his of his spirit and we have seen and do testify that the father has sent his son as the savior of the world god abides in those who confess that jesus is the son of god and they abide in god so we have known and believed the love that god has for us god is love and those who abide in love abide in god and god abides in them Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God, may the words to come and word just read penetrate our hearts in a new way for us to hear your voice. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Since this is Senior Recognition Sunday, and since most of you went to prom last night, I have visuals and I have a message just for you. In this great little book called The Five Secrets You Must Discover Before You Die by John Izzo, he writes about the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is the accumulation of facts, whereas wisdom is the ability to discern what matters and what does not matter. Unless we can discover what really matters, we cannot find true meaning in life. Well, now that you've 
completed 13 years of education and you're graduating from high school, Robert Fulgram maintains that all we really need to know about how to live and what to do and how to be, we learned back in kindergarten. Now, don't you wish you could get those 12 years back? So I would like to share this kindergarten list with you as you begin this next season of life. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt someone. Wash your hands before you eat. Flush. Warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. Live a balanced life. Learn some and think some and draw and paint and sing and dance and play and work some each and every day. Take a nap every afternoon. When you go out into the world, watch out for traffic, hold hands, and, woo, and stick together. I have one of those graduates. It's the last one. Oh. Be aware of wonder. Remember the little seed in the styrofoam cup? The roots go down and the plants go up. And nobody really knows how or why, but we're all like that. Goldfish and hamsters and white mice and even the little seed in the styrofoam cup, they all die, and so do we. And then remember the Dick and Jane books and the first word that you learned, the biggest word of all, look. Now I think I would just add one thing to this list. If we are going to go out into the world to look and see, then as Christ followers, we have the responsibility and the joy to respond with gratitude and love. But not just any love. We need love God's way. Love has got to be one of the most overused words in our vocabulary. We have watered it down to express our appreciation for pizza and new shoes. We give it a bit more power when we talk about our favorite sports team or our cat or our amazing dog or when we use it to tell a friend or a family member that we love them. The most distortion of the word love, I think, is when we link it to romantic love. With love songs and chick flicks, we have perpetuated, perpetuated this idealized, mythical feeling that is emotionally charged, but it's so, so fleeting. We ache for it as young people. We wonder what's wrong with us in middle age, or more accurately, what's wrong with our partner. And if we're lucky or tenacious enough, we move into a comfortable companionship of deep caring and respect with a long-term par partner whom we love. But even this comes up short. 25 years ago, I had my first encounter with what felt like the authentic love of God. I gave birth to my first daughter, Jordan. When I held that little bugger in my arms and I gazed at her face, I was overwhelmed with a sense of awe and wonder. I was sure that I could never love anything as much as I loved this helpless little squinty-eyed baby. This did not bode well for any of her potential siblings. 
But my wise mother assured me that this love that I had for child number one would expand enough for any future children that I brought into my world. And guess what? She was right. As I reflected on this new love, I began to wonder why I loved this little kid so much. She hadn't done anything yet. She hadn't eaten or even smiled. She hadn't accomplished some great feat, and she most certainly hadn't done anything for me at all. No breakfast in bed, no cleaning the kitchen, nothing. But I didn't love her because of what she had done or what she could do. I loved her for who she was. She was mine. And in that moment, for her and for her sisters and for every moment since, I've loved them. On days when they make me proud, on days when they get on my very last nerve, and on every day in between. Becoming a mom has helped me get a glimpse into the love of God. Now, I know that there are other experiences that you have had that also have given you a glimpse of God's love. But for me, this one was a game changer. I imagine, and I want you to imagine, that God has that same gush of awe and wonder as God holds us. God doesn't love us when we do things for him. God doesn't love us because of great feats and accomplishments. God doesn't love us because we are good. God loves us because we are his. On days when we make him proud, on days when we get on his last nerve, and on days when we fail to live up to even the most basic Christian expectation, God loves us still. Despite it all, through it all, we are his. So seniors, if you remember nothing else from this sermon, hear this. You are loved. If you believe this truth, embrace this truth, and live out of this truth, it's a game changer. Wherever you go, wherever you go, it's like the gateway drug to a happy life. In 1 John, we are rightly told that God doesn't love us because we love God. God loved us first. It's the response to that gushing love that is meant to spring up out of us with the power to love in return. And I think we need to reclaim the word love to embody it God's way. One thing God teaches us about his love wherever we go is that love needs a face. Richard Rohr writes, it's, it was probably St. Francis of Assisi who first brought attention to the humanity of Jesus within organized Christianity. During its first thousand years, the church was mainly concerned with proving that Jesus was God. In Jesus, God was given a face and a heart. God became someone we could love. While God can be described as a moral force or as a consciousness, the truth is we don't or can't fall in love with abstractions. So God became a person that we could hear, see with our eyes, look at and touch with our hands. The brilliant Jewish philosopher Emmanuel Levinas said, the only thing that really converts people is an encounter with the face of another. 
When the face of the other, especially the suffering face, is received and empathized with, it leads to transformation of our whole being. It creates a moral demand on our hearts that is far more compelling than laws. Just giving people commandments on tablets of stone doesn't change the heart. It may steal the will, but it doesn't soften the heart like an I-thou encounter does. Lisa Shannon loved her life. She had a good business, a beloved fiancé, and a comfortable home in Portland, Oregon. In 2010, more than 5 million people had died in the Congo War. A new version of love was birthed in Lisa when she saw the face and heard the story of a person a world away. The story of Jenna Rose is unfortunately numbingly familiar. One night, her home was invaded by extremist Hutu military men demanding money. She and her husband turned over what they had, but the militia wanted more. They shot and killed her husband and prepared to rape her. When she screamed for help, they hacked off her leg above the knee with a machete. They then threw her leg in the fire and commanded that her children become cannibals. When her 12-year-old son refused, he was killed. Horror of all horrors. Lisa heard about these and other atrocities and how they continued because nobody cared. She decided to do something. For, she asked her friends to sponsor her for a solo 30-mile fundraising run for Jenna Rose and for other Congolese women. This is nice, but it's only the beginning for the passion that Lisa had to love these women she devoted her life to helping these women and children. Unless you think that this is a happily ever after Hollywood love story, you have to hear the price that was paid. This, this love cost Lisa her business, her home, and her fiancé. Lisa said, technically, I had a good life before, but I wasn't very happy. Now I feel I have much more of a sense of meaning. That's love, God's way. When we think about the love of God, it is always about sacrifice or a giving of ourselves to connect with and care for each other. Here's a riddle for you. What gets bigger the more you take away from it? A hole. Here's another one. What gets bigger the more you give away? Love. Love always overflows and expands to include others. In verse 12, we read that no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. God's love reaches its goal when it creates relationships of love with people and relationships among people. This is what Jesuit priest Greg Boyle has accomplished in Los Angeles at Homeboy Industries, the largest gang intervention program in the world. Once Boyle was asked, when do you, when do you introduce Christ to the gang member? He said, never, and immediately. He went on to say, the second that any of us engage and enter relationships with those on the margins, 
The Christ encounter is alive and well. After all, I don't bring gang members to Christ. They bring me to Christ. These are profound words for any of us who go on mission trips or who go out into the community to share God's love. I don't bring them to Christ. They bring me to Christ. Boyle tells the story of a young homie named Rene who was having a bad day. He was at the bus stop eating a peach and stuck in a funk that he couldn't quite shake. It's a common experience for homies when they realize how thrown away they are. Things get dark. And on this day, the darkness was weighing more heavily on Rene than his usual list of burdens and woes. It was nearly paralyzing. Each day before Rene heads to work at Homeboy, he can be found at this bus bench. An elderly Japanese woman is also there every day. He doesn't know where she goes, maybe a senior center, although she seems too old to work. And as they're waiting, everyone always makes sure that she gets a seat on the bench. As the bus arrives, Rene guides her in front of him. And the old lady turns to Rene and says, I admire you. This is the first time that they've ever spoken. Rene is surprised and he says, you do? Why? She says rather matter-of-factly, you eat healthy. Every morning you're here eating fruit, a banana, an apple, today a peach. You eat fruit, so I admire you. Rene helps her on the bus and he goes to the back of the bus. And he replayed in his mind what this woman said to her. And he realizes that the funk is gone. He can't help himself. He works his way through the morning crush of commuters to find this Japanese woman. He gets down on one knee. He looks her in the eye and he says, thank you. Thank you for bringing so much spirit into my day. The woman smiles, touches his arm, and he returns to the back of the bus. Every day, wherever we go, to the Congo or to just across the street, we have opportunities to show a little love. We have an invitation to see the face of another, to hear their story, to recognize our interconnectedness. The invitation for the Christ in me is to see the Christ in you. Now that's love God's way. By first receiving God's love, we are empowered to connect and to see the other as a valuable child of God. God's love is big enough for us to get small. Alicia Bruxfort recalls the time when she and her four-year-old daughter had had a bad day, a tantrum-throwing, word-slinging, frustrating kind of day. The conflict and the power plays left her daughter sulking in the corner of her room, squeezed behind her dresser. When Alicia just wanted to leave her there, this fiery child had taught her that humility goes further than harshness, that grace always has a place in their worst moments. So Alicia dropped to all fours and crawled into the gap right next to her disgruntled little girl. May I join you? She whispered. Her daughter gave a solemn nod and reached for her hand, slowly threading her delicate fingers through her mom's. And then she leaned her little head on her mom's shoulder, and she exhaled a jagged sigh. And together they sat, squished together in weary silence, 
behind that white dresser with the pink knobs. Well, that was years ago, but one day her daughter brought home a picture with a simple writing prompt at the top of the page. I know my mommy loves me because dot, dot, dot. And just below the words was a crayoned picture of two small stick figures standing, sitting behind a tall white box decorated with pretty pink knobs and her daughter's response written in Missy's messy second grade scrawl. I know my mommy loves me because she makes herself small when I really need her. See, mommy, the little artist exclaimed as she pointed to the picture that she had drawn directly below those fortuitous words. That's you and me in my secret hiding place. Remember how you used to come and find me when I was crying? Wherever you go, we all need to remember what this little girl already knew. True love bends low to say, you matter. True love kneels humbly to say, I care. True love stoops freely to say, I'm here. True love is willing to become small, to offer the biggest gift of all, the power of presence. Friends, love doesn't always work as we want it to or look like something intimate and beautiful. But remember, remember, we belong to God and we are loved by God. We are made to love one another. Wherever you go, slow down, get close, see the faces, listen to the stories. Now we all know that the hungry, the marginalized, and the lonely misfit toys are everywhere. And you or I certainly can't fix it all. But here's the beauty of love God's way. Just do your part. However God has gifted you, however God has called you, just do one thing, one act of love, and pay attention to how you feel when you extend even a simple kindness. Chasing happy? Maybe. But joy is at the heart of this journey.